Hello and welcome to all you guys, gals, and non-binary pals. Welcome to Owen the Wiz, where we are live for the two of us and pre-recorded for the rest of y'all. My name is Tristan Jordan, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Matt Lundy. We are here to talk all things soccer from the City of Fountains every single week. On this episode, you are going to hear us touch a little bit on Sporting KC's preseason match against Colorado from Saturday. Then we will get into our MLS Western Conference breakdown. That's going to be the meat and potatoes of today's episode. And then we're going to give everyone a glimpse into each club's transfer news and what they should be shooting for goal-wise this season before wrapping it up with a good old-fashioned mailbag. Matt, we ready to get this show on the road? Yeah, let's do it. Let's I, do it. Hey, I'm, I'm a little surprised with how excited and energetic that you were in that introduction after the really, really, really rough weekend that we had as uh, soccer fans of the United States and uh, Chiefs fans. So yeah. do you have any, yeah, any thoughts on those games from this weekend? You know, I, I'm always one to blame the refs. You know, that's just a, that's a staple of being any kind of a sports fan. You just got to – it's never your team's fault. You know, you always got to blame the dudes who are not actually playing the sport. I was at a party, and I was watching the Chiefs game on the big screen. We had a small little iPad with the U.S. men's national team game on it. And so we were definitely prioritizing the Chiefs game because, you know, hometown rules. If you wanted to, you could blame the referee. You could say they weren't calling any fouls. They didn't call a single P.I. call. There were several after the whistle contact blows against Chiefs players. And it just wasn't the best showing from the referees. But then on the other side of it, I keep wanting to say sporting. On the other side of it, Patrick had, I counted it out. He had as much as 11 seconds in the pocket at certain points during this game. And just couldn't get it done. We even forced overtime. Couldn't get it done. How are you feeling about that game? That was one of the first times that I've watched the Chiefs, and uh, especially in the Patrick Mahomes era, and you start to think like, hey, you know, where are the ideas at? It it was just kind of weird to see a whole second half where the only three points that we scored was a field goal with seconds left. That's just not, that's not the Chiefs that I've been used to the last few years. Yeah. Uh, It's an unfortunate way to go out, and I think a little bit of the blame has to go on the coaching staff at the end of the first half, not deciding to kick a field goal. They kick a field goal at the end of the first half and they win that game, even with the poor second half. It was a bummer. I totally get that. The, and I think uh, a lot of it also is a mentality thing. I think if you are the coaching staff and you go into the locker room at halftime and you're up by as much as you were, but that last drive didn't pan out, you got to kick some butt because that should have been in. You have arguably the strongest offense in the league. Well, you know, the Chiefs game was uh, sad and sorry, but at least they played a good half. Watching the U.S. Men's National Team was rough, the, the whole showing. We just couldn't get anything going forward. Uh, it seemed like, you know, even though Canada was playing a lot behind the ball, they still were creating the better chances. And we have, if you look at those two squads, one of them had a lot more MLS players on it than the other did. And I think it's one of those situations where you look at, we're away, we're playing in Canada. I didn't expect to necessarily get a win you hope you get a draw there at least it just makes the game this week so much more important to get three points out of so we put ourselves in a little bit of a pinch but you know with a good result later this week we shake it off and we move on i couldn't agree more let's get back to what we know best shall we let's do it all right this is going to be far more lighthearted because it was a nil nil draw 
between Colorado, who are prepping for CONCACAF Champions League, and Sporting KC. Sporting KC started out the first half pretty okay, considering it was preseason. Neither side were really able to execute on their opportunities that occurred in the final third. Second half started, and Colorado left out their starters. They left out what would probably be their first team if they had to play a competitive match today. Sporting also started with what would likely be their starting 11, give or take a few, Spencer Glass being one of them at left back. But the second half starts, Colorado leaves out their first team. What does SKC do? We put out basically entirely academy kids. Academy, SKC2, you name it. All of our younger players, our more inexperienced players are out there. And they held that first team in those first 15 minutes or so of the second half. They held them to 0-0, didn't they? They sure did. Uh, I think I think that second half was a little bit more chaotic than you would like. But you just have to remember, a lot of those guys are our depth players. You're not going to see that whole group starting together in the future. You're going to have those players filling in for other players on the team. And so I think they did, they did pretty well to hold their own weight. The first half, I was really impressed. I think we played very, very well defending-wise. Uh, we got our numbers back behind the ball. Uh, our back line looked very solid. And so I have some confidence going forward. You know, a lot of times looking at preseason, you don't want to take too much out of those games. Lots can change. Uh, like we're going to talk about later, we got new players coming in. But for a first showing, Sporting KC looks pretty good. I would agree, and I would argue that the brightest spot in that second half, if there was any bright spot that wasn't named Kabe Rod, because oof, that was a rough, that was a rough half for that guy. Mm. But in terms of my favorite player to watch on the ball in that second half, it was Kobe Jones, hands down. He was calm on the ball. He knew exactly what he was doing with the ball every time he received it, and he knew if he had space to dribble forward. And even if he didn't have space, he knew whether or not he had the time and the ability to 1v1 whoever was pressing down on him. There were moments where he received the ball and immediately knew he had to clear it. There were times where he received the ball and then he knew he had to play a 1-2 and push down that side. I saw him getting into the attack a lot. Kobe Jones, highlight that man. Get ready to see big things from him. Maybe not this season, but probably in the next one or two seasons. I am very excited to see all that he is going to bring. I'd just echo what you said about Kobe Jones. I feel like he was a player that didn't try to do more than he was capable of, capable of, and that just really helped him out a lot. And it made him look like he fit into the team well. Uh, yes. He's going to be a good one to have. And correct me if I'm wrong, he has not officially signed a contract with Sporting KC. Is that as right? As far as I can tell, you are correct. I okay. have not seen anything in terms of him signing with the full team, but I know that he is not a trialist. I'm okay. pretty sure he was an academy player who was brought up. At least I believe that that's what Ali Trost said during the broadcast, who was on the play-by-play call. And if my memory serves me correct, that is her first SKC play-by-play. And she did a pretty darn good job coming from a play-by-play color commentator myself. So I was impressed by Ali. Let's move on to some SKC news. I like it. We are just moving and grooving. We're chugging along here. All right. The first piece of news is that Logan Denve was spotted in Arizona per SKC social media. The man was on a non-mobile bike. Matt, what do you make of this? It's good to have him down in Arizona with the team. You know, there was a little bit of concern in the last week on getting some of these guys over the United States, getting them integrated with the team. And with 
looking at your preseason, that's something that you always want to do. You want to get those new players in as soon as you can because that's going to give you just an extra little jump start, get you going. And so, you know, when rumors started floating that we were having trouble getting those guys over, I started to get a little bit worried. Now we see them over, starting to do some of their fitness, get in shape. Hopefully we'll see some pictures and videos out soon of them, you know, on the ball, training with the squad. Uh, but I'm happy to see Logan and Dembe with Sporting KC. I love it. Same here. And you know who else we get to see with Sporting KC? Breaking news as of about, I don't know, say 20 minutes ago on this Monday evening, final day of January, Robert Voladere, that pronunciation may or may not change once we get more information. But Robert Voladere was spotted in Kansas City, not Arizona. So he just met the stadium for the first time, meeting our front office staff, and will be soon heading down to Arizona. How does that make you feel? More of the same? Yeah, a lot of the same. It's always fun to see those little compilations they put together of the player walking through the locker room, getting to sit in the big comfy chair, walking out on the field for the first time. And it's probably good for Robert Voladere uh, that it wasn't too cold in Kansas City this last week. You know, hopefully we don't scare him off. I know it is kind of cold in, uh, in Germany as well, but we're going to get to ship him off to sunny Arizona for preseason. So I'm sure he'll enjoy that weather change as well. Hopefully he is able to hop on a private jet or on a charter bus that gets out of here before the big snowstorm that starts tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday of this week. We are supposed to get hit with 6 to 12 inches. I don't know about anybody else in this country, but that is not my idea Just of a good time. Just crazy weather. It's, it was 70 it's, degrees today. Yeah. It was, and we're getting it a was snowstorm 70. Wednesday. I was wearing shorts and a hoodie on my walk with a dog, and then tomorrow we're going to get heavy rain and maybe some snow followed by heavy, heavy snow the rest of the week. So are, that's are you enough one, of a Kansas City forecast. Whoa, go I just, for it. I don't understand why we don't have preseason here. It just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. I, I, I would almost even argue that we might as well just have preseason in Minnesota if we're going to be doing it down here. That's true. Right along, we chug into more news. It is reported that Sporting KC are interested in an $11 million striker from Chivas Guadalajara, the 22-year-old J.J. Macias. Macias was on loan with La Liga side Getafe for this La Liga season. Of course, they're still in the season, not quite halfway through, but he had fallen out of favor with Getafe's staff, and so Macias was recalled by Chivas, and he has been registered for this upcoming Liga MX season. Matt, what are we making of this? I think it's an interesting rumor. I don't think it's... I don't know. I don't think it's groundbreaking necessarily. He's a young player. Seems to have some talent. Uh, but I don't quite know where he fits in stylistically. I haven't been able to find a lot of film or anything to know if he's going to be a similar player to like what we might see with the Kyrie Shelton or if he's going to differ in play and play more like an Alan Polito and play with the ball at his feet a little bit more, play make a little bit more. So I guess I guess we'll have to see as the rumors continue to surface. He's pretty young. He doesn't have a lot of tape on him. So that's my take. It's pretty limited at the moment. That's but very depth fair. Is always a good thing. Yeah, and especially with Alan Polito, again, he is out for the season due to the knee injury. I'm a little apprehensive about strikers coming from Chivas now, just because, you know, Polito's been injured. But 
I think that Macias, because we're looking to just loan him, so we're not looking to acquire him full-time because he would be a fourth DP given the wages that he's on at Chivas Guadalajara. And that's against MLS rules. So you're only allowed to have three designated players, which are players who make above a certain threshold on salary, not including incentives. So hypothetically, we could bring him in on a low TAM player, target and allocation money player with impressive numbers in the incentives department. But I think that he's really more of a bougie band-aid. I don't think we really need to look at him as much more than that. I think in terms of his play style, I believe he is a bit more of the Alan Polito style. I don't think we would go out and bring in another hold-up play like Kyrie is. I think he would be a bit of a bougie band-aid. I think that's just the perfect alliteration to, to stick on that man and hope that he would stick on our club. So, all right. Anything else to add to the news section? I think that's it. All right, we are going to disco our way on down to the meat and potatoes section of this podcast. We're going to talk regular season previews for every single team in the Western Conference. We are going to be breaking down what the goal for the season is for these clubs. We're going to talk about the coach. We're going to talk about notable incoming players, notable outgoing players, and any players that were re-signed. We are going to get started with Austin FC, and I will start us off so their coach is Josh Wolf. He is entering his second year with the club. Of course, their first year in the league was only last year, so he's been with them since their inception. Last season, Austin FC had 31 points. They were in 12th out of 13 teams in the West. Not a great season for Austin, but of course, as all expansion teams start, very rarely do they make the playoffs. Austin was no exception there. They did not make the playoffs by any shot. They had only nine wins. They had 21 losses and four draws. One, at least one of those wins, came against Sporting Kansas City. Austin looked really good at times. And so my goal for them this season, I will get to in just a moment. Notable incoming players are Maxi Arruti, who's coming in as a free agent from Houston. Ethan Finley coming in as a free agent from Minnesota United. Ruben Gabrielson is coming in from Toulouse. So that is an interesting signing for the squad in Austin as he is going to look to bolster their roster a little bit in the defensive side of things. Damian Loss coming in, the goalkeeper from Fulham. He was just recently announced about five days ago. Notable outgoing players. The sporting Kansas City legend, or at least soon to be up on that wall, is Matt Beasler. He retired at the end of this season or at the end of last season, I should say. Thomas Pochettino is on loan. He's been loaned out for this season, and Ben Sweat ran out of contract with the club and was picked up in free agency by Sporting Kansas City. Players that Austin re-signed were Alex Ring, Jared Stroud. I love Jared Stroud. His style of play was so fun to watch. He, of course, is a Red Bull native who worked his way up through the Red Bull system at New York, then was transferred down to Austin. He... Didn't feature all that much for Austin last season, but he just had so many positives in his game. The way that he applied the press, the way that he was confident on the ball. I just, I'm a big Jared Stroud fan, even though he is on a rival club in the Western Conference. I just can't get me enough of Jared Stroud. I was really hoping that when his contract ran out, making him a free agent, that we would try to sign a deal for him because we're a little thin in our attacking options. Obviously, that did not happen as Austin FC re-signed him before anyone else did. So my goal for Austin this season, Matt, 
is for Josh Wolf to help the club solidify their identity and test out their new strikers. In the middle of the season, they signed Driussi. Now in the offseason, they've signed Arudi. Do they have something for the sound of ooh in a striker's name? All these questions I would love to have answered. I want to see them really hone in on an identity. They tried pressing. They tried possession. They never really found a good balance. So I'm excited to see what Josh Wolf, who is in fact a Sporting KC legend, he is up on that wall. I'm excited to see what he can muster out of this squad in year two. I like it. I do have a question for you. Yes, hit me with it. Do you think that Austin FC can have a better goal differential this season? Because you look at last year, and it's not Minnesota first season bad, right? They had a minus 21 goal differential. It was the worst in the Western Conference. Do you think there's any changes brewing in Austin FC? Do you think we're going to see that system start to solidify the defense a little bit as well? Nick Lima on the back line. What do you think? That is a great question. Um, I would say in terms of Austin's goal differential, I think that a lot of their signings that they've made, i.e. Ruben Gabrielson, I hope I'm saying that right. I'm probably not because I said it with this South American flair and he's from Norway. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing that they went out and acquired him to fill the hole left by Matt Beasler. They also had a few other players in their midfield leave the club. So I, I think that if Alexander Ring can hone in on his sixth role, more so with the club than playing in the eight where he, he I believe is not his true position. He is far stronger as a number ten, number six, excuse me, for this club. I think if their captain, Alexander Ring, can get his head on straight and not foul and get red cards every other match, mm-hmm. and their new signings and the defensive side of things and not having the pressure to play an older, slower Matt Beasler. I love the guy to death, but he really was not fit to be a first-team player. Uh, I think that if they can figure those things out, I think they're, they're on par. I don't think that they will break even in goal differential, I, but I do believe that it will be a better goal differential than the negative 21 from last season. I agree, I agree. You would, you would hope that a second second year under Josh Wolf will help solidify that. Before we move on, I'm going to give you my ranking for Austin FC in the 2022 MLS season. I have Austin FC out of 14 clubs. Of course, remember the Nashville is back in it. That's more so me saying that for my own remembering than yours, Matt. But I have Austin in 11th place. Okay. Okay. I'm a little skeptical on Austin FC still. To me, I don't see that they've made a signing that's big enough to change some of the issues that they had last season. I think they are bringing in a couple smart pieces, but I just, to me, there needs to be a little bit more MLS experience on this team, especially in the core. We, we do have Alex ring there in the center, uh, but I've, I've said this a million times. I'll say it again. MLS center backs really start to solidify a club. You look at a team like Nashville, they really stepped it up when they brought in Walker Zimmerman. That completely changed them as a team. I think Austin FC is still sitting in last place in the Western Conference this season. I want them to do better. I just I, I foresee a coaching change in the season. I think they're going to struggle a little bit. I think they're going to wow. do a little coaching bit of floundering. Change. 
I think there's going to be a little floundering, similar to what we saw with Minnesota. I think that eventually they'll find their feet. I just don't think it's the season. His own son plays at the club. You're going to out the man? I don't have anything to say to that. I... <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's his fair. son I would will like get to re- kicked out to too. Revise. I would like to revise. Wow, that was aggressive. Um, but I support it, you know. We're all about we're all about the uh, strong takes here at Owen the Wiz. I would like to revise my previous notion because I completely forgot to include Minnesota United in my breakdown of uh, where the Western Conference is going to fall. I actually have with the revisions that I just made on the on the fly while you were talking. I have Austin in twelfth of fourteen. Okay, not quite last, but not near the top. Yep. So I could see. That. All right, I think that's about their ceiling. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. And I, I'm, I'm going to shoot for like a mid-teens negative goal differential. Okay. Okay. So, all right, you want to move us along to Colorado? Sure. Let's do Go it. Go for it. So, the Colorado Rapids this season are starting off the year with Coach Robin Frazier. This is his third year at the club, I believe. He's been here since 2019. Looking at some notable incoming players this year, they're bringing in Brian Acosta, Max Alves, which is going to be a big signing for them from Flamingo. I think he came in on around a million dollars. Uh, Abuba Carquieta from Columbus, and Austin Trusty from Arsenal, which is, uh, that is breaking news as of today, and you're going to see this in the outgoing section. So outgoing players, we have Cole Bassett, Kellen Acosta, which we definitely need to talk about in this section, Courtney Ford to Sporting KC. Dominique Baji, uh, and Austin Trusty. So, Austin Trusty, he's on the incoming and the outgoing list. So, for those of you that haven't seen the news and don't know what's going on, uh, Austin Trusty, the 23-year-old center back, has signed a deal with Arsenal. And this is a pretty exciting deal because Austin Trusty is one of those players that's uh, breaking into the U.S. national team. He's a very exciting MLS player, strong, physical Pretty good on the ball, pretty good passer. But Arsenal has purchased him, and then they have loaned him back to Colorado Rapids, I believe through either June or July. It's about that summertime transfer window that we will see him going back to Arsenal. I don't know if Arsenal is going to loan him out somewhere else, if they're going to try and keep him as depth for themselves. Uh, but he is, uh, that's, that's a very good, uh, exciting signing out of Colorado. Uh, re-signed players. We're looking at Jack Price, Mark Anthony K, Danny Wilson, Keegan Rosenberry, Drew, Mar- Drew Moore, and Stephen Betashar, all re-signing deals with Colorado. Last season, Colorado finished first place in the West, which it was a very crazy end to the season. If I remember right, and you might have to correct me if I'm wrong, I believe Colorado Rapids were sitting third place going into the final Final they day. were indeed. They and they were indeed, yes. leapfrogged uh, Seattle and Sporting KC to grab that top spot. So first place last year, looking at uh, 61 points plus 15 goal differential, 17 wins, 7 losses, and 10 ties. They were a very, very, very strong team last season. And looking at this roster, looking at their coach who's entering their third season, my goal for Colorado this season is to replicate last year without falling flat in the playoffs. This team is the definition of consistency, right? You don't see a lot of players that are in like the one, two, three position in their position for MLS. 
you see a lot of players that are in the four, five, six, seven position, but that's all the positions, right? They are a very, very high average team, and they string together consistency game in and game out. They don't lose a lot of games. They're not flashy. Sometimes they can appear to be average, but this team is consistent. And with the caliber of players and their coach like Robin Frazier, you're going to see this team pull off a spot pretty high in the Western Conference again. Their floor isn't very low. I think with the caliber of players, they're going to they're gonna produce, right? But I don't know if they can pull off a first place spot again. You're definitely going to see them in the top, though. They will definitely be in the playoffs. So for this season, uh, for my preseason prediction, I have Colorado at the four spot. Falling a few places, but with some of these new signings, I think that they can maintain and definitely be a playoff team. I'm hoping that they get a couple wins. Okay. I like that. I like that. I have Colorado in fifth. So right there, same area, same vein. I would I would say that I'm something I'm most excited for, at least that happened today for them, is the story of Austin Trusty, which of course he came up through the Philadelphia Union Academy. He sort of fell out of favor. He had really lost his form. And eventually Colorado, who has become known for utilizing distressed assets, went in and scooped him up, got him on a low transfer. They, they brought him in. They put him on their bench for a good long while and sort of retrained him, brought his mentality back. They helped him from the mental aspect because all the skill was still there. It was just buried under self-loathing and a lack of confidence so i'm very very intrigued to see how he does and what his role is with arsenal obviously i don't think he's really going to jump into the first team at all in his first year there but i am very excited for the story that comes out of that man and also to see what all happens with robin frazier and how he continues to use distressed assets i agree speaking of distressed assets kellen acosta Really, really interesting exit from Colorado. So it's kind of a two-sided story. Uh, Kellen's saying one thing, the club's saying another. But essentially, Kellen is claiming that he had offers to go abroad. He wanted to go to Europe. That was his goal when he was at Dallas. It didn't quite pan out. He ends up at Colorado, strings together, a couple of good seasons. He wants to go to Europe. Turns out the club... Takes him, instead of sending him to Europe, they flip him over to LAFC. The club is claiming that they only had one offer for Kellen Acosta. And that it just, the timing didn't work out. The deal wasn't what they wanted. So that's what they decided to do. Now, knowing what we know from the outside about the MLS and their monopoly money that they use. I personally think that Colorado looked at the TAM that they could receive from LAFC and knew that that was worth more to them than an outside payment from a European club, especially on a player that they did not bring in through their academy, a player that they were going to have to pay a a sell-on fee back to Dallas for. So I think that they made a deal for the club, not necessarily the best deal for the player. I do feel a little bit bad for Kellen Acosta but I'm hoping that he can find his feet at LAFC. I agree with everything you just said. I think that the position that he was put into with Colorado in the transfer window was very poor of Colorado to do. I understand it is a business. They have to make profit. But 
from the other side of the coin, MLS was founded by U.S. soccer, by business people in the United States to help increase our footprint on the international level. What do I mean by that? I mean, players like Kellen Acosta, who are showing lots of promise, not only for club, but also for country, need to be sold abroad to where the competition is higher, to where he will be challenged and pushed to perform at a higher level than what he can achieve here. And I think it was really poor on Colorado to do what they did to someone who could easily be starting for the national team if he was getting more minutes at a higher level club. I think Colorado is near the top of MLS, but I think Kellen Acosta was wronged by this transfer. I think that he will be a focal point for LAFC. And I think that if they were going to do this, they should have just made it a straight up trade with Mark Anthony Cade and Kellen Acosta when they acquired MAK last season. They are very, very similar players. Very, very similar, similar players. And I think it would have been a decent little switch. But that's just me, hindsight 2020. We didn't realize that all of that chaos would be happening. So you have them fourth. I have them fifth. Are we ready to move on? Yep, let's do it. All right. We are moving on to FC Dallas, the academy where all of the kids are made and sold elsewhere. So their head coach in his Nico Estevez was coming from Valencia and from the U.S. men's national team. Of course, he was an assistant coach under Greg Berhalter at the U.S. men's national team level. He was the head of player development and had a large say in the academy system in Valencia. So he is almost a perfect coaching option for FC Dallas, a team that sees themselves as not just an academy in the MLS. All right. They are the academy in the MLS, producing players like Weston McKinney, like Ricardo Pepe, like Tanner Tessman, Justin Shea, need I go on, Reggie Cannon. Okay. These guys are cranking out players in the million dollar realm, like popcorn popping in a microwave. They are just cranking these kids out and selling them for massive profit. So my goal for them this season is to find a work-life balance. They have to figure out a way to develop players and still work on achieving silverware. I totally understand if your goal is to help turn this league into a selling league by basically breeding players faster than you can even sell them. But when you're doing that, you still have to look at the business side of this I know I just gave Colorado a lot of shtick for doing this, but if you're Dallas, you still have to look at the business side. You still have to justify having a professional team. You're not in USL Championship as a second-tier club. That's North Texas FC. That's for the USL League One, all right? FC Dallas needs to be challenging for silverware. If they want to be the pinnacle of MLS, perfecting things like their parent club Bayern Munich are doing over in Germany. They have to be getting the best out of their players in this league before they hand them off to Europe. They need to be making big splashes in this league before they go and sell Ricardo Pepe for 20 million to Augsburg before they turn Justin Shea over to Hoffenheim for an, on an 18 month loan, those 18 months, he could be playing here. He could be helping his home club that got him to where he is an MLS trophy, some hardware, some silverware. Tanner Testman did three po- for 3.3 to Venezia to go play with 
Gianluca Busio and Nani? No. He should be here helping FC Dallas. Okay. I'm off my high horse. Now, notable incoming players. All three of those were notable outgoing this past season or this transfer window. Notable incoming are Paul Areola for a record-breaking $2 million in general allocation money coming in to FC Dallas from D.C. United. This man is a U.S. men's national team. Thoroughbred. He is constantly making appearances for them. He even had a loan over to Swansea where he was injured at the, at, towards the end of the 2021-2020-2021 season. As they were fighting for promotion, he received an injury, a knock that sent him back to the States, ending that opportunity. They're also bringing in Martin Pace on a short-term loan from an Eredivisie club and Nanu, who is coming in from Porto. So clearly Dallas acknowledges that they need to be performing at a higher level in this league as they have made some decent splashes of cash in the international and national market. So you may be sitting there at home thinking, well, if all of this is true, where should they be? Well, before I tell you where I'm putting them in the, in my Western Conference ranking, ranking I'm going to break a bit of news. Not break news. Before I tell you where I'm putting in, before I tell you where I'm putting FC Dallas in my Western Conference rankings, I'm going to tell you this. After all that I just said about FC Dallas, all the dog and I just did on them, I am proud of them for this. They've acknowledged that they need to do better in the domestic league. They've acknowledged that they should have higher goals for themselves than simply bottom of the table in 11th with 33 points, losing 15 games and winning less than half of that in seven. FC Dallas have gone and signed back, re-signed Nkoshi Tafari, Ima Twamusi, and several other academy products, including signing Jesus Ferreira to a new deal. This man is the first MLS Academy player to sign a designated player contract. What does this mean for Dallas? This means that while they are trying to push for silverware early in the season, it also means their goal is to offload him this season. Because his contract is so big, it's going to prohibit them from bringing in a big European player well, a pseudo-big European player like a Nanu, like a Martin Pace. They're not going to be able to bring in players like that if they're signing academy products to DP contracts. Now, the DP contract is great incentive for academy players. Saying, look, Jesus Ferreira is doing it. We signed him to a million-dollar contract. You can do that too. And I love that from FC Dallas. What they're doing in signing him to a DP contract is showing their kids that they can do what he's doing while also bringing the attention from Europe in. They're hitting all their bullet points. Now all they got to do is connect those dots with string and find some silverware in the center of that. After all of that being said, I still don't think FC Dallas makes the playoffs. I have them in 11th. Mm. Okay. I guess uh, it sounds like I rate FC Dallas just a little bit higher. Uh, I have them at 7th, 
Okay. It's just, just squeaking them in. in. Yep. Just squeaking and in. Part of my part of my reason why is if you look at this team, I think they've got a well-rounded experience-based team. You look at their defense, you've got players like Matt Hedges, Ryan Holland said. Those are really solid, good MLS defenders. You've got Paxson Pomichol coming back with another year of experience. I believe he's like 22 now. He's his young 20s, but that's just another year of experience, some creativity, and some work right there in the midfield. And then that attack we talked about just a little bit earlier, talking about players like Jace Ferreira, Paul Areola, uh, who else do we have? Uh, Jara up top. Those are some dangerous attackers that I think will score some goals in this Western Conference. And I think the problem is I don't know how deep this team is. I don't know what their rotation is going to look like. And that's part of just not seeing this team play since last year. And I feel like that was a big Achilles heel for this team. This year, I think they can have some more consistency. Some of these younger players are going to be seeing another season under their belt. I think they have just enough to squeak into a playoff spot. I've got them at seventh. All right. All right. A lot of the reason why I have FC Dallas in 11th is because I am expecting big things from some clubs that showed some promise last season. Okay. So we will touch on that a little bit later on, but I just don't think that there's enough space up in the top seven for Dallas to fit into that. So, all right. Let's move along. Take us to Houston. All right, Houston Dynamo, last season, finished last place in the Western Conference at 13th. Yep, 13th. We had 13 teams last season. Uh, 30 points, minus 18 goal differential, only six wins. It was a rough season for Houston, uh, which is why we have a new coach, Paulo Nagamura, the Kansas City legend, going down to Houston, uh, coming from SKC2, where he had some decent results but overall was kind of unimpressive uh but you have to keep in uh keep in mind he was playing a lot of kids versus some more proven usl teams that play a lot of older players so i I think one interesting thing that we'll highlight later is we will try to see what kind of style paulo nagamura is going to play incoming players for paulo nagamura and his squad we've got carlos fiera coming from libertad uh, a center forward on $4.3 million. And uh, we'll have to have people correct us if I'm wrong here, but I believe that is a club record for Houston. Uh, so he's going to be looking to score a lot of goals, make a big impact for this team. We've also got Steve Clark from Portland, uh, another MLS guy that's been around the league a little bit, can definitely make an impact for this team. And this one, I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings on this player. We've got Daniel Starris, center back. From the LA Galaxy coming in. Uh, I'll have a little bit to share on him later on. Notable outgoing players. We've got Ariel Lasseter to Inter Miami. The left winger. Maxi Arruti going to Austin FC. So we're probably going to see Carlos Fiera taking the place of Maxi Arruti up top. Resigned. We see Darwin Quintero. Lots of attacking creative talent there. Darwin Seren. Another center mid. Griffin Dorsey a right winger. Tyler Pasher a left winger. Sam Junhua, a left back, and Fabrice Picot, a left winger. My goal for Houston this season is to bring some defensive structure to this club. The last few years, Houston has been all about the attack, but has struggled in defense. 
his center, uh, the center back pairing and goalie have the MLX experience, but I think they need support. And I'm not quite sure that they are going to be able to get Houston across the line. We'll see. My secondary goal for this team is that they just don't finish last. I think if Paulo can just pick this team up off the bottom uh, a few places, if they can get some mid-season signings maybe to help them out at that point, I think you would consider it a success. But I don't even think they have to make the playoffs this year to show improvement as a team. I think simply just not being in those bottom three spots would be uh, where they would consider that to be a success. So, uh, Tristan. Any thoughts on this team? Any thoughts on those incoming players or outgoing players? Team comp, I, I'm excited for what Houston showed last season when they decided to show up. And I am excited for what Paolo is going to do with this roster rebuild. I think bringing in a goalkeeper like Steve Clark is a smart move. I think signing a player for $4.3 million in your first year not the best idea, but it could pan out. We don't know. We've never seen Paulo Nagamura have cash to splash. And the question is, is that his signing or is that the front office's signing from Pat Noon and their new general manager? All these questions will be, will be answered this season, and I don't think that any of them are going to be good answers. I have them in 13th of 14. I don't think they're going to do much anything different because it's the first season for a first-year head coach in the MLS and that has rarely panned out in a good way. I have them in 13th place as well. And if I had to give Houston just one area that I think would improve them drastically as a club, that would be dipping into their local market and developing an academy. Houston is a in a city that is just rich with soccer. You know, all these small clubs, lots of youth players there, and I just feel like the team has not utilized that soccer market the way that they should. I think if you look at some of the academies that some of these other teams have, maybe even in markets that aren't necessarily uh, big soccer areas, I feel like a lot of clubs utilize their academy system better than Houston could. If they could bring some pieces in from the academy and plug them in with some of these really talented players, then you would have a full team. But depth is always an issue, and I don't think that one star that you bring in on $4.3 million can complete this team around. Also, Daniel Steris, I said I would share on him a little bit earlier. Uh, I think he was part of LA Galaxy's problems the last few seasons, if you look at that team and the breakdown that they had over the last few years. So, yes, he is experienced, but I don't think that bringing him into a club that was already bleeding for, uh, you know, bleeding, giving up lots of goals, I just don't think that's the answer. I have to agree with you. I don't think Daniel Starez is the caliber that he needs to be to help rebuild Houston's defenses. I think if they're to, to try to rebuild their defenses, I think they need to stick with the signings that they made last season because according to the David Goss theorem, teams are always going to be better, or players are always going to be better in their second year. Signing a man like Tim Parker from an already established club in New York Red Bull who have been struggling in recent history, but... Tim Parker was a part of the 2018 team from Red Bull that set a new regular season points record. Zarek Valentin is from a Portland team that made the playoffs. Not only made the playoffs, but made the MLS Cup. They have made a lot of really smart signings. The problem is they're not phasing out their older players. 
They're not phasing out the minor Figueroa's, the Boniac Garcia's. They're giving them limited minutes in Boniac Garcia, but they're still bringing him in. That's fine. But you got to be doing that with minor Figueroa as well. Mm-hmm. The man is 38 years old. He can't be starting matches for you. He played in 62 games. Yeah. Since he's joined the club, I, I can't exactly find the specific numbers as to what he did last season. But this guy is old. you got to let him go. You just, you just, you have to. If well, Houston's well, going to make any progress this season, it's going to be relying on youth. And exactly what you said, they have to develop an academy. They have one. They just have to use it. They're in the same market region as FC Dallas, who are cranking out $20 million players. You got to play your kids. Got to play your kids. I'm going to stop whining and stop griping about it, but you got to play your kids. I agree. If if they do better than 13th, I will be pleasantly surprised and happy for Paulo. I, I w- yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. All right. Anything else to add? I think that's it. Okay. The Dynamo, according to us, they're not getting back to any kind of Western Conference final like 2015. All right, LA Galaxy are up next. Win their second year under head coach Greg Vanny, who, of course, was a legend for the club before retiring and going to coach Toronto FC, where he won MLS Cups. He made the MLS Cup numerous years created a dynasty which crumbled when he left so what did he do in year one with galaxy well he started really strong and then slowly fell away so my goal for them this season is to maintain the quality and to continue to grow into the vanny system what do i mean by that i mean sign players you obviously are the galaxy you are known for being this league's backbone you just got to go out and show that they're getting rid of players like Daniel Starez, as they should be. They're getting rid of players like Ethan Zubak, Giancarlo Gonzalez, Jonah Dos Santos, and Sebastian Legette. Now, three of those five players that I just named, I think, could be rather impressive in this league, and not just in this league, abroad as well. Ethan Zubak shows a lot of potential. Jonah Dos Santos is easily one of the top 10 midfielders in the league. He's more than likely no longer in the league, as I believe he was transferred to Club America in the offseason. But then you have Sebastian Legette, who's starting for the men's national team. This guy could easily go abroad. The problem is everybody thinks he's in his prime now, and that's not the best time to go abroad and make a splash there. Notable incoming players for the Galaxy are Raheem Edwards, who was a staple in the LAFC roster last season under Bob Bradley. Marky Delgado, who has had his time in the sun under Toronto head, former head coach Greg Vanny, who he is now reunited with. Kelvin Leardam, who was with Seattle. Greg Vanny knows him all too well from losing MLS Cup after MLS Cup. And of course, the old-fashioned sporting Kansas City goalkeeper Richard Sanchez who won the U-17 World Cup with Mexico several 
several years ago. They re-signed Victor Vasquez as he is also a Greg Vanny man through and through. So what do I think the Galaxy are doing? I think they're just rebuilding Greg Vanny's sides from Toronto. Raheem Edwards, Marky Delgado, Victor Vasquez, all three of those are Toronto guys who have come back to reunite with their old head coach, their old pal, Greg Vanny. Do I think it's a bad idea? Absolutely not. If it works one place, all the changes is you get a little bit better weather. Not as much snow. I think it's a good call from the Galaxy and Greg Vanny. So what are you feeling in terms of their placement in the 2022 season? I'll go after you go. So I have more of the same for the LA Galaxy. I think that they will be slightly better, but I still think that there are going to be some teams that do better than them. I have the LA Galaxy, I'm counting here, I have them in ninth place this season. So two places below the playoff zone. I think they've got some pieces, but just not quite good enough. I I don't think that they've made enough transfers. I don't think that they've splashed enough cash to return to the top of the table. And I think they've got some interesting competition in a lot of spots that will actually hurt them more than help them. I... I could see ninth. I could see that. And I, I, would, I would just like to apologize for my, uh, my dog's contribution to the background, if you can hear that. He is eagerly awaiting the Western Conference resumption in the coming weeks, as are we all. I, I see ninth place. I get that. I see that. I'm right around there. I think the Galaxy are making the playoffs, though. I think Greg Vanny and the Vanny system are just too much of a proven entity we saw what they could do in the beginning stages of last season. They had a roaring start. They blew everybody away at the beginning. And I think a lot of that is because it was, you know, the new coach bump. I think there was a lot of positivity from that. And I think a lot of the mental health stuff that Chicharito went through in the offseason, I think that helped him a lot. I have the Galaxy in sixth. Making the playoffs by a, a narrow margin, I think it'll be a decision day battle. You remember from this past season, the Galaxy who finished in eighth were in the seventh spot. They were going to make the playoffs. And then in the feigning moments, there was a handball in the RSL against Sporting KC game. I'm not salty about it. I doubt any of our listeners are salty about it either. But that not only forced SKC out of the top spot, but also forced LA Galaxy out of the playoffs because RSL ran down the pitch and scored in the feigning moments of the game. Very similar to uh, what happened to the Chiefs yesterday. So, Matt, anything else to add to the Galaxy before we move along? I think if you look at their roster, the number 10 situation is going to be really interesting because you've got several aging players that can play in that spot. So it just kind of makes me wonder who's going to be getting the starting role. My bet, my money would be on Vic. Victor Vasquez, I think especially because of his relationship with Greg Vanny, I think he might get the, a little bit of an edge over a player, let's say, uh, Sasha Kleshton. But I, we're definitely going to see some rotation there because we've got lots of aging players. I'm hoping that Chicharito can make a little bit of a rebound this season. Uh, he didn't put together a bad year last year, but I think we could see higher numbers from him in this league and then the goalie situation is also interesting. We saw a rotating cast of goalies. 
Uh, I don't know if it's going to be uh, Jonathan Bond or if we're going to see Jonathan Klinsman uh, in the in the net this season. I I think that's going to be an interesting battle. I think Bond did end up getting more appearances last year. I don't know that for a fact, but I think he did end up with more appearances. So we'll see what those positions look like this season. I think that is a place, though, on the field that you want to be consistent. Any other thoughts? I think the 10, their success at the 10 role is going to be paramount for their success in the league. So we will see how that pans out. And without further ado, you want to move us on to LAFC? Sure thing. All right, LAFC. Last year, we're a little bit of a disappointment coming off the 2020 season. Last season, LAFC finished ninth place on 45 points, just missing out on a playoff spot by about three points and maybe some goals, depending on how that goal differential fell on that last day. They won 12 games, lost 13, and tied 9. If you look at their roster this season, their ingoing and outgoing players, there's a few notable pieces that we see with this team. So some of those that I would like to talk about, we see uh, uh, John McCarthy coming in from Inter-Miami. That's another goalkeeper. Uh, Maximim Krepu from Vancouver, another goalkeeper. Some competition there. Kellen Acosta, we've already discussed, coming in from Colorado. Elie Sanchez, a pod favorite, coming from Sporting KC with some center <coughs> midfield depth. Uh, Ishmael Tajori Shradi, coming from Charlotte FC. I think he did some bouncing around in the offseason as well. Uh, and Franco Escobar, a right back from Atlanta United. Notable outgoing players, we have Raheem Edwards going to the Galaxy. Bryce Duke. An attacking mid going to enter Miami. Tristan Blackman, a young right back, giving Charlotte FC some youth in that position. And Edward Atuesta, probably the biggest outgoing player, leaving for Palmeiras down in Brazil. Resigned for the club, we see Sebastian Abega, a center back. Bryce Duke, an attacking mid. Edward Atuesta, who was resigned and then sold. Carlos Vela. Of course, probably the the club's top player, and Danny Muscavi, a striker up top. Looking at this team this season, I think that they have a lot of really interesting pieces, a lot of really good quality under this on this team. I think it's going to completely be a matter of what the coach can do with this club. I could see it going either way. Steve Tarundolo very similar to Paulo Nagabara that we were talking about earlier. A coach that had been in the USL, had done maybe some mediocre things. Definitely has the pedigree of being an excellent player in this league, but his coaching is much unknown. Not necessarily because we think that he will uh, not be a great coach, but you know, USL is a lot different than MLS. So if he can earn the respect of his players, if he can produce in training and get his players to produce and be firing on all cylinders, I think this team has the pieces to do really well. And I think the key, the goal for this season, is for them to adopt an identity. This team had an identity under Bob Bradley. We knew how that they, they were going to be playing every single week. High possession, very energetic midfield, and a team that scored a lot of goals. I don't necessarily think that LAFC has to have the exact same identity, 
as they did under Bob Bradley, but I think they're going to have to adopt a similar one just based on the players that they have in this team. Uh, and at the end of the day, they're going to have to just score more goals than the other team. This team has the most experience in the attack. They don't have a ton of experience in the back. This team is going to lead goals. It's just going to happen. But if they can score goals, more goals than the other team, which, duh, that's the goal of the game, right? Then they're going to end up with the points. So, And, and I think the fans are really going to expect a big bounce back year from LAFC this season. Tristan, what do you got on LAFC? What are you thinking? I think LAFC are going to do pretty okay. I don't think that they're going to see any return to glory from the 2018-19 seasons. I think they're still going to struggle with Carlos Vela until they offload him. I don't see them doing much. So I have them in ninth in the Western Conference. Just missing out of the playoffs. I think they will also be a decision day competitor yet again. I think Ilya is going to help them immensely. And I'm so sad we've let him go. I think Ishmael Tajuri Shradi was a huge pickup for them. Um, after his time with NYCFC, of course, he did just win the MLS Cup with them before being taken in the expansion draft by Charlotte and then flipped to L.A., basically in exchange for that for L.A. not protecting Tristan Blackman. Charlotte, of course, picking him in that same expansion draft as well. I think there are big things to come from LAFC, but in a rebuild year, I don't see it. Okay. I I have to disagree with you a little bit on here. It's good. We've got some uh, some continuity with like the Houston pick, but uh, we're gonna have a little bit of nuance as well. So I, I like have it. LAFC in fifth this season. No and way. I, and I think get your they are going to bleed bias out of this state. <laughs> are state. we supposed to have Midwest bias on this podcast? Is that what this no. is supposed to be? No, it's just not supposed to be LA based by Okay. Man. Well, you're going to have Seattle, Portland, Vancouver, all of the, not Vancouver. You're going to have Seattle, Portland, LAFC, who else? San Jose, you want to throw them into your top 7 too, huh? I guess you'll just have to find out. Yeah, I, yeah. I have good, okay. Listen, I have good justification though. All right, if that's gonna, fair. If you're going to come with a take like that, you got to justify it. <laughs> so, it's all it's all love, brother. Hit me with it. What's your justification? So, LAFC has just an amazing productive midfield that's going to be feeding an attack. I don't necessarily think that they have a super creative midfield, but they have an energetic midfield that's going to win the ball and keep the ball. I'm talking about, well, one, you've got an awesome player coming in in Kellen Acosta. We know that he is the epitome of an MLS 8. He's going to be great at stripping the ball from other players, and he's what I call a shuddler. He's going to take that ball from the defensive part of the field and to the attacking part of the field. Uh, you also have a similar player to that in Latif Blessing. He's been playing in that midfield spot a lot, bringing a lot of energy. That's a player that we are super familiar with, being a former SKC player. But we've seen over the last couple seasons, and especially under Bob, Latif Blessing just really found an identity in that team and really helped to that midfield uh, transition. And then lastly, I think if you've got two eights like that that are just really energetic and they're constantly going and winning the ball, you have to have a tempo, uh, what's it called, a metronome. You have to have that metronome in midfield behind them to calm things down a little bit and to pick those really clinical passes 
and keep the possession. And I think that's what they were looking for in a signing of Ilya Sanchez. Do I think he's going to start every game? I don't think so, but he is only 31. And if you take an older player that has the passing ability and you put really energetic players in front of them that also have good skill, I think that creates a really solid midfield. And we don't even have to talk about the attack on this team. I think the attack on this team is going to score a lot of goals, but you have to have players to get them the ball. And that's going to be LAFC's midfield this season. Understand that. I respect that. I think their midfield is going to be very strong, but I think their attack is where it's going to be lacking. Obviously, they have Chicho Arango. They have Brian Rodriguez, who is looking to find his form again. But they lost Diego Rossi last season. Danny Musovski has not shown that he is as big of a player here as he was in the USL Championship. So I'm excited to see what they can bring to the table. I think LAFC has always had that shine, that shimmer, that pizzazz. But now it's just a time for them to perform under it, under a new head coach in Steve Tarundolo. Anything else you want to add? I think that's it. All right, we're going to move up north to Minnesota United, where the Loons live. Head coach Adrian Heath entering his sixth year with the club in their sixth year. He is the same coach who brought the club into the MLS in their inaugural seasons. Of course, those dreadful, dreadful inception years. But notable incoming players are Eric Dick, the former goalkeeper from SKC and former super draft pick from SKC. Also coming back to the north is Abu Dunladi. He is making his return to the club this offseason, having spent some time away at Nashville, I believe. Yep, yep. I can confirm that was one of my clubs. Sick. Is Abu Dunladi making his return to the North after spending some time away in Nashville? Notable outgoing players are Adrian Zendejas, who has gone away to Charlotte. Also leaving is Thomas Chacon, who is supposedly the next big thing for Argentinian soccer. He was supposed to help invigorate the attack for Minnesota. Couldn't quite break into the first team, and it's a little hard to when you're standing at just five foot one in stature. The 21-year-old is no longer in the club as he and Minnesota agreed to mutually part ways this offseason. Also leaving the club is club legend Ozzy Alonso after spending several years in Seattle, dabbling a bit in Minnesota, helping them make the playoffs and fortifying their defenses and strengthening their midfield. Ozzy Alonso is headed to Atlanta to help reinvigorate another club who seems to have fallen. Also leaving is Ethan Finley, who has been a phenomenal piece for them in Minnesota. He is headed to Austin to help them on their wings and also Jan Gregush is headed to San Jose, where the Earthquakes are looking to strengthen their own attack. But why? We'll get more on that in just a bit. Contract extensions have been offered to Roman Metanier, Callum Montgomery, Will Trapp, Dane St. Clair, just to name a few. All four of those are pretty strong players. Callum Montgomery looking to finally break into the first team. Will Trapp, of course. A man who was supposed to be a franchise piece started turning into a bit of a journeyman. Can he solidify his role in that central defensive midfield now that Osvaldo Alonso is gone? My goal for Minnesota this season is to finally live up to the potential that they have had. 
They've established themselves as a threat in 2018, solidified it in the following years before dropping off last season in just the first round of the playoffs to Portland 3-0. They need a striker. Who can that be? Who knew is the answer or so Adrian Heath believes. The man had seven goals and just one assist in a partial season last year. Can he build on that? According to the David Goss theorem, he should. David Goss's theory, I've mentioned it once before. I will mention it again. David Goss is an analyst for MLSsoccer.com. If you listen to Extra Time Radio, you will hear all of his hot takes. David Goss' theory is when you bring a player in from abroad, meaning not from the domestic MLS league, you have to give them one season to adjust. And then the second season, you will see why the club signed them. Who knew? Came in, seven goals, pretty decent, one assist. But can he build on that? For me, my opinion, for who knew, it is a success if the man doubles his output on goals and he puts up, say, six assists. If he has 20 combined goals and assists this season, I would say he's a success. That's what Minnesota needs to push them over the edge, to get them to where I have them in. Drum roll, please. Seventh. They're going to barely make the playoffs. They're going to be fighting tooth and nail to make the playoffs this season, but they are going to barely clinch out on decision day. That is my prediction for the loons up north. What do you have for me, Matt? All right. So you mentioned the attack in Minnesota. You mentioned that they struggled to find some goals. Looking at Minnesota last season, their leading goal scorer was uh, Robin Lote with only nine goals. That's just not good enough. I think if you are a successful club, you have to have at least one person putting 10 goals in the back of the net. So, if you look at how they tried to bolster the attack this year, they brought in Abu Donladi. They are actually bringing him back from Nashville SC, where he was transferred after his 2019 season in Minnesota. In the 2020 season for Nashville, Abu Donladi had 17 games played, with uh, only two goals. I don't think that is the kind of striker that you're looking at bringing back to be uh, the person that's going to be up top scoring all your goals. Abu Donladi is a very great player. I think he's got he's got it in him to uh, become a good MLS player. I just don't see him taking the spot at the top of the uh, team sheet, at the top of the goal sheet. So I think they're going to struggle to score goals just like they did last season. If they struggle to score goals, then they are not going to make the playoffs. I have Minnesota in 11th place. Damn. 11th place. So a return to the Minnesota of old is what you're predicting. I don't think their goal differential is going to be as bad. I think their biggest problem is going to be scoring. So I think they'll be able to keep the ball out of the back of the net. But if you're getting lots of draws and the occasional loss and you're you know, struggling with form and finding the back of the net. I just don't see it for this team. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Unless you have anything else to add to the loons of the North, let's move on down South where the barbecue is not quite as good as it is here. (laughs) We're of course talking about Nashville FC, which is a brand new team to the Western Um, conference. Hold on. It's, SC because we play soccer in this sophisticated oh, country. I am so sorry about that. <laughs> Nashville, <laughs> S, Nashville SC joining the Western Conference, B 
because of the addition of Charlotte FC this season. So they are in a brand new conference, and that's going to be where I will start with this team. My goal for them this season, before we get into all their players, is new conference, new challenges. Nashville came in third last year, but if you look at the Eastern Conference, it was a very, very top-heavy conference. Uh, New England finished, I believe, 13 points above the next team in the East. I think the East was overall fairly weak. And I think that if you look at the West, it's much more evenly balanced. Some of these teams that are missing the playoffs, it pains me a little bit because I don't think that they're bad teams. I think that Nashville is not going to find it as easy in the Western Conference as they did in the Eastern Conference. And so I see them being a close to a playoff team. We'll get uh, there after we talk about coaches and players. Their coach is Gary Smith, sticking with the club another season uh, and has proved to the fans that he belongs there with that third place finish last season. Uh, incoming players, we have Sean Davis, a free agent from the New York Red Bulls. I believe Sean Davis has had quite a few appearances there, well over 100, so a very experienced player in the defensive mid-spot. We've got Ethan Zubak, a center forward from the LA Galaxy, looking to bolster some depth there. And also another center forward signing, Teal Bunbury from the New England Revolution, a Eastern Conference rival of Nashville's. Notable outgoing players, we've got Abu Donladi going to Minnesota. And Alistar Johnson, the right back, going to Montreal. Montreal has re-signed Eric Miller, the center back. Uh, they re-signed before uh, offloading Alistar Johnson. Uh, they re-signed Alex Moyle. Luke uh, Hakenson, right back. And Tyler Washington, the left mid. Tristan, what do you think? Do you have any opinions on Nashville this coming season? I think Nashville is going to do a great job this season. Uh, if you look at the comparison between the East and the West from last season, yes, the West was more difficult, but that's because they didn't have the Supporter Shield winners in their division. I think Nashville's system of fortify the defenses and press on the counter, I think that's going to pay off dividends in this conference. Of course, in the MLS, there are not a whole lot of interconference matches. So this is a huge deal for Nashville to be bouncing conferences like this. I think a loss like Alistair Johnson is going to be a massive hit. I think Luke Hawkinson might be able to make some moves on the right back area. I think that they will need him greatly filling in for Alistair Johnson as he is gone. I think Alex Muell is going to continue to be a very important spot for them. So, where do I have them in my bracket? I know that's the only thing you bracketing individuals care about. Nashville, for me, I have them in second. Oh, wow. I wow. think that that counterattacking football is going to shock this conference. Some clubs like Sporting KC who use possession, I think it is going to be their kryptonite. So, Nashville, for me, are number two. I'm really excited this season to see them play. And uh, whenever they come to Sporting Park, those are going to be some tickets that I'm going to be trying to snag because Hany Mukhtar is a super exciting player in this league. Last season, we were seeing him bounce around that Eastern Conference a lot. We didn't get to see him 
on the western side of the conference or uh, western side of the country that much. So I'm really excited to see what he can do, the damage that he can do in this Western Conference. I think that's all I got for Nashville SC. I like it. I like everything you have said. I think Ani Mukhtar is going to be a massive piece for Nashville yet again. Of course, the man making a late push and ultimately securing second in the MVP voting for Nashville, well, for the league under the Nashville crest last season. So, without further ado, let's did move I, on. Hold on a second. Did I did I share my place? I don't know if I did. You did not. Hit okay. us with the place. I've got Nashville finishing sixth in the Western Dang. Conference. I think they're going to be a playoff team. This is a solid squad. You've got experience up top, Hani Mukhtar. You've got experience in the back. You've got Walker Zimmerman. Those are two awesome pieces to build a squad around. I just think that in a league like MLS... So much of it is based upon knowing your opponents and they are changing a majority of their opponents. So I think that's going to knock them a few places and they'll end in six, but they're, they're definitely a playoff team for me. All right. I respect all of those calls and I am excited to see what Nashville are able to do in year three. So let's move on up North to where the trees fall hard and Timber Joey cuts harder. We're talking about Portland. That's right. Head coach is Giovanni Savarese, or Savarese, the former MLS legend. He is now coaching in Portland. He's been there for a couple of seasons now. Notable incomings are David Bingham, goalkeeper from Los Angeles Galaxy. Another goalkeeper coming in, and Justin Von Stieg, also from the Galaxy, and Allianz Ivacic. Portland Timbers, too, signing that man to a first-team contract. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Of course, they lost Steve Clark to Houston. And Diego Valeri, club legend, has headed on down south of the border to go play with his old Argentinian club, Lanús. Something really cool about Portland is that they have announced that they will be doing a... Oh, I forget the specific term for it, but basically it's a friendly in honor of Diego Valeri, where he will play one half under the Portland crest and one half under the Lanus crest, as he will have a memoriam, memorial game, something along those lines. Basically, it's just to praise the dude because he's really cool and he's done a lot of really cool things in this league. So players who are re-signed are Diego Chara, Zach McGraw, and Dario Zuparic, alongside Andy Polo, Marvin Luria, Blake Bodily, and Christian Paredes. So, lottery signings there from Portland, who had a pretty strong squad. However, they started off pretty darn weak. So, you may be thinking, Tristan, we get it. You can make lists. Give us your goals for the season. My goal for Portland this season is for them to be reclaim themselves as one of the stronger sides in the West. They've been making it to MLS Cups. They've pushed themselves to playoffs. They've beaten clubs, you know, who were one of the best in the country in Sporting KC back in 2018 in the Western Conference Finals. I think they can do that all again. Do I think it could be this season? Maybe not. But soon, most certainly. They need to start in better form this time around. They were lackluster at best and dropped far too many points from the jump last season. So... They should be challenging for top four in the West. Do I think they will? No. Not with a goalkeeper like David Bingham. 
David Bingham is notorious for letting simple, easy shots on target roll across the line and in for goals. So where do I have Portland in my lineup? I have them narrowly missing out on a decision day disaster from David Bingham. They're going to be an eighth. Hey, that's a big take. Especially considering last season, they had they had a pretty pretty decent year. Uh, they did wow. finish fourth last season with fifty five points, seventeen wins, thirteen losses, and four draws. Just to give the listener an idea of how they did last season. All right, take it away, Matt. All right, so I'm a little bit more up on Portland than you are. I have them in third, and I I do agree. I think David Bingham is going to be. A mediocre signing at best for this team. I just think that they have so many pieces that will keep the ball off of his side of the pitch that it's not necessarily going to matter. If you look at this attack on this team, they're pretty well balanced, and they're bringing back several key pieces. They were phasing Diego Valeri out, and by the way, he's probably one of my favorite all-time MLS players, uh, especially if you you know cut out Sporting KC, because I've got some bias there. But they were phasing him out, and so you look at what they've, they're bringing back. You've got Darren Espria, Sebastian Blanco, Yimmy Chara, and Felipe Mora up top. All of those players, they did a decent job of spreading out the goals and assists among them and providing for this team. I think uh, if you combine that with Diego Chara in the midfield, cleaning things up, you've got a really solid team there that's keeping it away off of David Bingham's side. And this is a, a team that, to me, seems to be a lot like Sporting KC. They just always seem to be in the fold. Even on a, quote, down year, they seem to just eke into the playoffs at least. All right? So I've got them in third this season. Right what? Sporting KC. I've got them in third. But that is blasphemy. I think you could. You might have talked to me. I'm not going to move my prediction now. But. You could have talked me into like a six, seven spot at the least. I just mm. don't. I don't this see this coastal team bias. The playoffs. Man, we're gonna have to get you some counseling for this. I, this is. I don't see this team missing the playoffs. This is blasphemy. Are you kidding me? No, I'm playing with you. It's really not that blasphemous. It's a pretty good. It's a pretty good roster. I just think they're gonna have far too much trouble with a goalkeeper that can't keep the ball out of the net. That's. A, I think that's all good, in all, their roster is gonna be pretty strong. And I think that with an aging star like Diego Chara, with an aging star like Sebastian Blanco, I think it'll be way too much for their midfield to be able to hold up against stronger midfields that want to possess the ball like SKC, like LAFC, like Nashville, baby. Sorry, I'm high on the Nashville train this year. All right. Anything else to add to Portland before we move on? into the mountainous range that we don't really like to talk about? I don't have anything else. All right, let's head to Utah, home of Real Salt Lake. Matt, this one's yours. Take it away. Man, this team, I don't. I got assigned to talk about Salt Lake. I, I wanted to offer a trade because it's just not a team that I want to talk about. At the Nobody the does, man. Nobody does. Oh, man. But th- this team is... I think they're a decent squad, and they've got a good coach. Uh, you've got Pablo, Pablo Mastroni here, uh, who has 
been a proven coach in MLS. He did great things in Colorado, and then he goes to a rival Salt Lake, and he continues to uh, revitalize and change a team that if you look at a few years ago, you see all those aging players, right? And you think, how is this team going to make a turnaround? And I feel like Pablo has done a really good job doing that and has kept this team in contention. And, you know, you look at their form last season, they had a slight dip, and then they just picked up right before the playoffs, and then that train just kept on rolling. So if if Salt Lake has any goal this season, my goal for them is that they utilize that end-of-the-season form to start off 2022 uh, with a strong start. Rebuilding an MLS can be difficult. you got to find those correct pieces to bring in to replace those old guys. But I think they're well on their way. And if you actually look at their roster, they do have some decent experience there. So, notable incoming players. We've got Everton, just re-signed uh, as a free agent for this club. And we've got Scott Caldwell, uh, a defensive midfielder with lots of MLS caps, lots of MLS experience coming in to that center, def- uh, center defensive mid-spot that was uh, left a couple years ago by Kyle Beckerman. Notable outgoing players, and this is a big one for this club. Albert Rusnak is a player that over the last couple seasons was a big provider up top, and so that is a really big player to lose, especially to another West Conference team, Seattle Sounders. It seems like the club and the player just couldn't come to terms with a good deal, and so we see Albert Rusnak on his way. So that will hurt a little bit. Resigning, we've got Justin Merrim, another player that's aging in that attack. I don't think that we're going to see him starting a lot of games. He's probably going to be a player that's coming off the bench, but definitely a player that can bang in a couple goals. Salt Lake. They've got some young players now. David Ochoa, at the end of last season, making a statement to the rest of the league that he is the next up-and-coming goalkeeper. At the age of 21, you don't see a lot of goalkeepers really finding that first-team spot in their early 20s. Goalkeepers usually a position that you see people develop later. So we'll see if that was just a run of form or if David Ochoa can keep that up going into the season. But if you combine David Ochoa, you keep going up the spine of this team here, Justin Glad, 24, another player, another young player that is coming in uh, to this team starting game in and game out and really showing that he can be a leader. Those are two young players that have really come into stride with this team. And so I, I think that we can we can see some good things from RSL this season. It's just going to be a matter of, can they be consistent? Can they keep up that form that they had from last year? Where do you have uh, RSL finishing this season? I have RSL about where they were throughout the duration of last season. Without their coach's bump, they would have been bottom of the table. So, given the stronger roster that they have this time around, Everton Ruiz, of course, being their super sub, coming back for more. Scott Caldwell, I think, is going to revolutionize their strength in midfield. He's been phenomenal in the few moments he got with New England. I think he's going to be able to build off of that and really be a strong piece for RSL going forward over the next two or three years. So where do I have them? Tenth. I think that they're going to be able to solidify their backs. So they're not going to quite have the poor goal differential that they did last season, which I say poor, but it was a plus one. I don't think they're going to quite 
do that. I think it's going to be a little bit worse than that. I think that Albert Rusnak is going to be too big of a loss. And I don't think that Rubio Rabin is going to be able to put the goals into the back of the net the way that they need to. So I have them in 10th. What do you got for me, Matt? Where do you have them? So I have RSL just missing the playoffs at 8th place. But I had Dallas in 7th. And this was something that I thought about for a long time. I kept going back and forth between these two teams. Now, really interesting. This hasn't happened yet. But there is a rumor that RSL could be signing Daniel Henry uh, to the team. And for those of you that aren't familiar with Daniel Henry, he is an MLS veteran, played with the Vancouver Whitecaps for a while, but he is a staple of the Canadian national team, and he is a really solid center back. Um, I think if you pair him with, like we talked about earlier, Justin Glad, I feel like that could be a really, really, really solid center back pairing in this league. You also have names like uh, Marcelo Silva, and, and if you start to build up that spine, I could be talked into a little bit higher spot. I I have them in eighth, but if they make the playoffs this year again, I would not be surprised. I, I, I don't think I would be surprised, but I think there's too much quality in this conference for that to be a possibility for them. Okay. All I right. think that Pablo Mastorini has positives as a coach, and I don't know if he is going to be able to – because there's a difference, you know. There's a difference between coming in and giving a team a coach's bump, which basically, for those of you who are not familiar with that phrase, basically means you come in and you're able to invigorate the squad with so much energy, and you're able to simply kickstart a car. It's like using jumper cables on a car that's supposedly dead. You jump into life and all the lights turn on and everything starts going. It really brings it to life. And I think that that bump that you get from having a new coach come in is going to have worn off. And I don't think that they're going to be able to reach where they reached last season with Pablo Masserini again. Okay. All right. We ready to move on to San Jose? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's move on to the coast a little further out west. I'm sure Matt's probably got this team in, I don't know, okay. first okay. top of the conference. But San Jose, head coach is Matias Almeida in year number five with San Jose. Now, this is an interesting situation for San Jose. I'm going to give you a little bit of information here before I move on into the transfer news for this offseason. Matias Almeida has come out at the beginning of this offseason arguably even before the end of the season last year. And Matias Almeida came out and basically said, I'm done. I don't want to be at this club anymore. The club doesn't want me here anymore, but I'm not going to quit because I want my paycheck. And the club's not going to fire me because they don't want to pay my paycheck right now. They want to continue to pay it over the course of the year and not have to worry about paying two different coaches. So Matias Almeida is basically phoning it in. For another year. I think the only incentive that this man has to perform at a decent level and to get good performances out of his team are to get a better job. This man has plenty of offers from South American clubs, but if he wants to get at one of the pinnacle clubs, one of the clubs that are going to give him the backing that he feels he deserves, that he is not receiving, in his words, from San Jose, because the club certainly hasn't been signing players like Shofis for him, he feels that he is not getting the treatment he deserves. He's Matias Almeida. He deserves to be a star, right? Wrong. You're a coach. Coach. That's all you need to worry about. 
Let your front office get you your stars. Give them a scouting list. Give them a wish list. And if you get some from there, awesome. If you don't, your job is to make do with the players you have on your roster, whether you like it or not. If you don't like it, quit. Go elsewhere. If you do like it, fantastic. Succeed. So players that San Jose are bringing in, Francisco Calvo, what? Why? Well, they lost Florian Youngverth last season. He went over to Vancouver. So you need a replacement center back. Francisco Calvo is about as mediocre as they come in the MLS. So let's sign that guy from Chicago. Sure, why not? Jan Gregush coming in from Minnesota United as a free agent. He was a phenomenal attacking option for Minnesota on their wing. Can he do the same in San Jose? The question is, why do they need Jan Gregush when they already have wingers like Christian Espinosa, when they already have wingers like Cade Cowell. Yes, a little bit of depth is nice, but who's going to take the bench? Is it going to be Cade Cowell? Surely it won't. He's too good of a young American to be taking that spot. You need to be building him up to sell him abroad. These are all my high horse moments. I'll step down now. We're going to talk about outgoing players and Andy Rios. He is headed out as he is headed to an Argentinian club, Aldo Civi. That's definitely not how you say that, but I tried. Also coming out of the club, Luciano Andres Abesais. Sure think I butchered that one as well. And Eric Calvillo, who is also leaving the club this transfer window. Eric Calvillo, of course, being a central defensive midfielder. He was sent on loan last season to the USL Championship, and I believe he was with the Tampa Bay Rowdies. Let me double-check that. He was on loan with Orange County SC last season, who went on to get second. I believe they were the runner-up in the USL Championship last season. You've lost a lot of good players, right? You've lost an academy kid in Eric Calvillo. You lost Andy Rios, who's your backup striker. What are you going to do? How are they going to perform? Well, the reason why all these players are going out, they're bringing in very few in, they re-signed Shea Salinas, who's old and arguably washed up. They had the retirement of their talisman, Chris Wondolowski. They have no identity at this club. What are they supposed to do under a manager who doesn't want to be there? Absolutely diddly squat. San Jose, plan as you like, going to be 14th in the conference this year. They're going to be scraping by. They're all going to be there to simply collect paychecks. The players are going to be there to try to get a transfer off the team. Matt, surely, please tell me you have a more positive outlook on this club. Well, I think I rate them a little bit more, uh, but not much. I've got San Jose in 10th place this season, missing out on the playoffs. I agree with all you said about the coaching situation. If you got a coach that's in turmoil that has not uh, settled well with the club and is, looks to be on their way out, I think that can cause some problems. Now, on the other hand, you do have a coach that at least has an identity with how he structures this team. I think the teams that you see struggle the most, the thing that you're asking always is what is this team's identity? They don't seem to have a style of play. I think in MLS, as long as you have a style of play, that keeps you from getting dead last, in my personal opinion. It, that could change depending on if we see uh, this manager leave partway through the season or not. I guess we'll see. Now, this team does have some interesting pieces. I don't think that they are a completely broken club, and I think with a different coach, this team could do really well. 
you look at players like Abobasi. He's a what I would he seems kind of like a Colorado player, right? Like a distressed asset, someone that has had a lot of potential, a lot of hype, but has uh, seemingly fallen off a little bit. Uh, and then you also combine that with players like Espinoza, like you mentioned earlier, young players like Cade Cal. Uh, let's see who else you got on this squad. Jackson Ewell, that's a MLS experience. You've got lots of pieces. I just don't know if we have a full team. Maybe the style of play can make up for that. But the deal is, it's year five for this coach. It's year five in this league. And so you have to ask Matias Almeida, you know, is this, or you have to ask the club, is Matias Almeida and his plan working out? I don't quite think it is. But I think because they have that set plan, because of their system, the man marking system that's so different, I don't think it's possible for every single MLS team to adapt for that. There's just too many games in the schedule. So they are going to get some wins. I have them in 10th. All right. Appreciate the slight amount of positivity behind them because I just dogged on them for what felt like 30 minutes. But anyway, we're moving on to something that's likely going to be far more positive because it's on the Western Coast again, and you're doing them. Seattle, hit us with it. Seattle Sounders. This is going to be an exciting team, and I think a team that uh, will be a big rival for Sporting KC this season, as they always are. So. Seattle Sounders, another year with coach Brian Schmetzer, who I think is one of the most pleasant surprises for a coach that we've had in MLS. Uh, and he's just taken the reins of this team and he's led them to trophies. So who do we have coming in? We've got Freddie Montero signing another free agent deal at the club. Will Bruin signing another free agent deal at the club. Alex Roldan signing another free agent deal at the club. And Albert, Albert Rusnak coming in from Salt Lake. You see a trend here. People want to play for Brian Schmetzer. Outgoing players. Now, this is a big one for me. I think that this is going to be a piece they're going to have to figure out how they're going to replace. We've got Brad Smith leaving Seattle, going to DC United. Brad Smith brought some attacking identity out of the back for this club. He was on that left wing back spot, dribbling up the pitch, putting in the crosses, and taking people on, which is something you don't often see a left back be able to do. Uh, he was a player that came over here from Bournemouth, and he loved this club so much that he decided to stay, and he's a proven MLS entity. So they have offloaded him to DC United, uh, and I think that's going to be a piece that they're going to miss. They also lost Shane O'Neill to Toronto, uh, another depth piece for Seattle. Um, I don't think that's a huge loss, but you know, definitely losing some depth there. Resigned, we see Kellen Rowe a Seattle native. That's a player that Seattle has gotten more out of this past year than Sporting KC was able to. And I think that's just uh, the vibe of Seattle for Kellen Rowe. I think that was a giant pick-me-up for him. We also see Raul Rui Diaz resigning up top. A uh, Quite the striker for this team. Jordan Morris coming back from injury, resigning with the club. It was good to see him get on the field for the Yesmans national team the other day. We've got Jimmy Madronda, another Sporting KC Former player, João Paulo, Abdulier Sissoko, Joshua Atencio, and Xavier Ariaga. So my my take on Seattle is that they have just too much talent 
to not win a trophy this season. The goal for Seattle this season has to be trophy or bust. They are loaded in all of their positions up and down the pitch. They've got top-tier MLS talent, and they've got a top-tier coach to bat. And I think a trophyless season would be an absolute failure for this team. Now, I don't know if that's going to be a supporter shield. I don't know if that's going to be an MLS Cup. I don't know if that's going to be a League's Cup. But this team has to win a trophy with this roster. I think last year, they struggled a little bit, losing key pieces like Jordan Morris. But with those players back, I think this team is going to finish first place in the Western Conference. What do you think, Tristan? Am I showing my Western Conference bias that I supposedly have? Man, your West Coastal bias is showing. However, in this case, I'm agreeing with you. I think you got it spot on. If it's, it's trophy or bust for the Seattle team. I think Seattle is one of the dynasties. You don't hear that word thrown around all that often, but I think Seattle has solidified themselves as a dynasty in Major League Soccer. They are going to have to win silverware this season to justify Albert Rushnak's arrival, to justify re-signing all of those players that you just rattled off in a list that made me so happy to hear. Seattle, I believe, are no longer looking at winning MLS hardware. I think they're looking at continental glory. I think Seattle are going to be the first team from the MLS to win the CONCACAF Champions League this season. Of course, they qualified for finishing second last season. So the question is, can they actually perform upon that and really do it? It's tough for an MLS team to truly compete in CONCACAF Champions League. But then the last two attempts from Seattle, they've made it to the quarterfinals or further in the competition. So I have Seattle in first. You have Seattle in first. Now it's up to Seattle to prove us wrong. I think I agree with all that. I didn't even think about uh, international trophies. But you look at this team, it's very similar in a lot of ways to those Toronto teams that we saw that went down and competed uh, with uh, a lot of Mexican clubs. I think they have the firepower to do that. I would agree. I think LAFC making it to the final a few years ago. I think Toronto making it to the final a few years ago. I think Seattle is the next club to do it. So I'm rocking with Seattle to win the CONCACAF Champions League. First time for an MLS club to win the Continental Cup. All right. Anything else to add to the Sounders of Seattle? I think that's it. All right. Let's move on to a club that I am extremely excited about. Andiamo, says Vanny Zartini, the new head coach of Vancouver. We're talking about the Whitecaps right now. Vanny Sartini coming in, the Italian with the pizzazz, the spice, the bam from Emeril Lagasse. Vanny Sartini is going to come into this Vancouver squad with a full year ahead of him. After giving them the bump they needed to achieve the postseason until they lost out to Sporting Kansas City. Now, the question is... Can Vanny Sartini do the same with a full season what he could with a coach's bump? Now, what do you mean by that, Tristan? Well, I'll tell you right after this. Now, incoming players are Tristan Blackman from LAFC, which, of course, he's really from Charlotte. 
because Charlotte picked him up in the expansion draft. Then they flipped him to Vancouver, who snatched him up in a trade. Maxime Crepeau is leaving for LAFC because there were some personal things there with Maxime Crepeau. He wanted out of Vancouver due to, I believe, family issues um, yep, that's that were cited too. as personal reasons. So he is now in LA where he wanted to go. And re-signing with Vancouver, I am so excited for these five, six players. Brian White, Thomas Hassal, Florian Youngworth, Christian Dahome, and Michael Baldissimo. All of these players are going to come together. They've already started to mesh under the Vanni Sartini style, the Italian flair, right? Now they're going to have a whole season in combination with Ryan Gold. They're looking to make this some goldware. You've heard of silverware. No, no, no. They're looking for themselves a piece of goldware for their trophy case. Brian White and Cavallini are going to be fighting it out. Hopefully, a one Lucas Daniel Cavallini is going to be able to fight his way back into the conversation for the number nine with this club, given the massive transfer fee that Vancouver paid for him. He better figure it out and fast. There's great amounts of potential for this club. It has defied the odds to make the playoffs last season. Of course, a lot of that was due to the coach's bump, thanks to Vanny Sartini joining the side. But as I asked earlier, will he be able to maintain that culture that he instilled for those few weeks over the course of a whole season? My answer is yes. I think Vanny Sartini having been somewhere in the front office of Vancouver. He was then moved to the U-17s coach for Vancouver before having the general manager of the club come to him right after a U-17 practice and say, hey, pack your things. You are headed to have a press conference as you are our new interim head coach. Of course, after that press conference, he led himself and the Vancouver Whitecaps to the playoffs where they lost to Sporting Kansas City. Now, where do I have them in my Western Conference ranking? Well, it's the one and only spot remaining, the four spot. I think Vancouver are going to be lights out at times. And I think other times they might falter a little bit to actually score. But I think the solidification that they have made in the nine role, acquiring Brian White last season, and in the back line with Florian Youngworth re-signing and Christian Blackman, Tristan Blackman coming in as a center back, right back, versatile piece. I think they're going to be a really formidable side, especially with Ryan Gold playing that number 10, that regista role, trying to push on the attack. Matt, what are we feeling? How do you like my analysis of Vancouver? Fourth place. Okay. To me, that's a little high. And uh, Man, they're, they're on the West Coast. I thought you'd love it. I, I think that they've got... A decent squad. Tristan Blackman is going to be a really great addition on the defense because I think that's where they struggled. But if you've got your designated player only scoring three goals in a season and you're relying on MLS talent up top to score, I don't think this team can be a playoff team. Brian White is, I think, one of my most exciting players to watch because he is one of those players that just kind of seems to pop up and score wherever. He did that at New York. Now he's doing it at Vancouver, but you need more than just Brian White. You got to have some support for this team. You did bring up some interesting pieces. I do think 
that there is potential for this team. But if you are in a market, if you're a team that your designated players are players that you have to rely on, Lucas uh, Cavallini did not prove that last season he could pull this team along. So with that, I have Vancouver finishing 12th in the West. Wow. Polar opposites. I just don't think enough has changed. I think they have made changes. I think that they will be... I don't know. I just don't see them being better than last year. All right. I, I, you know what, man? Only time will tell who is right, and I have a feeling it's going to be me. That's just me. <laughs> Obviously, I'm going to side with myself because, you know, I'm super humble like that. But we are running out of time, so we are going to move right along. Listener, I hope that you have been taking notes and you will hold us accountable for all of our hot takes as we go forward through this MLS season. Those are our Western Conference rankings and rundowns. I hope that you learned something from this. I hope that maybe you picked up a new hot take or two that you can spout out at the dinner table because, yes, the MLS is one of the big four leagues in this country. Now, we were going to hit a mailbag, but we don't really have time for that anymore, so we are just going to move right along to saying farewell. So if you have any questions for us, tweet at us, shoot us in the DMs, we also have a Discord. If you want into that action, go find us on Twitter at OwenTheWiz, and we will get you added to the Discord as soon as we can so we can have some nice quality MLS conversations in there. Matt, anything else? I think that's it. That was fun. Do you want to tell right. the listeners what we got coming up? Down the oh, platform? yes. Coming up, we have an Eastern Conference breakdown next week, which will be... Similar to this, a little bit different because there will be some different transfer news, hopefully. Some different SKC generic news. We'll have another preseason review for you, maybe two, depending on how many games happen in this next week. Be sure to tweet at us at OwenTheWiz if you have any questions you want us to answer. You can also email us at OwenTheWiz at gmail.com. For Matt Lundy, I'm Tristan Jordan signing off. Have a good one. Oh, when the winds go marching in.